Well, good morning again, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. It's great to be continuing in the series that we've been in called Reimagining Church, which is over there. And um, this block we've been in this last couple of weeks, we've been talking about understanding the world that we live in. And I think it's reasonably fair to say that our world feels a little bit chaotic these days. Does that, does that sound about fair? Sound about right? So we're going to speak a little bit about ministry in the chaos this morning and talk a little bit about the nature of our world, um, just very briefly as we get going. You know, we've, the pace of life seems to have leveled up reasonably exponentially over the last couple of decades. I don't know if you've noticed that, especially for some of you that have like really lived through that, and like me that's just kind of lived through the last three, right? But uh, we've made things a lot more efficient. I, I, found some, I found some interesting information as I was doing research for this. Do you know that uh, we're in a cycle at the moment of increasing work hours? This hasn't always been the case. In the, up until about the 1930s, work hours were reasonably intense. The Industrial Revolution had happened, and uh, so a lot of people were having to work really, really hard, six days a week often, sort of eight to 12 hours a day. And then technology began to, to be applied into the workplace, and there was a shift that happened in working hours, and people generally started to work less and less and less. And so there was actually a famous... Uh, economist John Maynard Keynes, if any of you have studied economics, you'll know he uh, writes a lot of economic theory. Uh, he's a very well-respected man. In 1930, he predicted that we would, because of technology, reach a point where we would have a 15-hour work week. That would have been nice. <laughs> See, the problem is that trend actually started to happen from 1930 through until about 1970. Work weeks declined and got to about 30 hours a week. But then from about 1970, something changed, something happened, and we began to spike back up. And so as you know, we're now working harder than we've ever really worked before. Work hours are high again. We're accessible at all times because, remember, remember snail mail, right? That used to be just called mail. And you just send someone like a message in the post. Well, now it's a slow form. Now, you remember landlines. You would dial something. You had the little, I still remember the little twisty phones that you would turn around, right? And the young guys are like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, you have to wind them up. Yeah, so I didn't have to wind mine up. Okay, so right, now we're really good talking. Right, and if you phoned someone and they weren't at home, they weren't at home and you didn't get to leave them. Then we got answering machines so you could at least leave them a message. And now we have smartphones. And now you're accessible every moment of every day, no matter whether you want it or not. Our world is also, I don't know about you, it's getting a little bit more stressful at the moment. There's a lot of political uncertainty. We've got an interesting guy like Donald Trump as the president of America doing all kinds of strange and unusual things. Uh, I don't know where you stand on Trump, but he's an interesting character. I think that's fair to say. Brexit is going on in the UK, and for the first time in decades, the, um, Britain is trying to pull out of the European Union, and that's going pear-shaped all over the place. China is growing and doing its thing, and everyone's a little bit concerned about how they're going to control the world through Huawei and the phone that's in my pocket. Right. We've just lived through Jacob Zuma, the most obscure president perhaps in South Africa's history, who just kind of did what he wanted and laughed whenever anyone asked him about it. And now we're hoping Cyril's going to do a better job. Right. We're, we've got moral uncertainty that's going on at the moment. The morals of society are shifting like they haven't in generations. And things that have always been the norm and have been the standard are, are changing. Crime continues to increase. I didn't just make that up. I went to check the stats, particularly in the Western Cape. Things are still getting worse. The economy is kind of precarious. So the world is a little bit chaotic. And as a result of that, we begin to worry a lot more. 
You might know that in Western society in particular, there is a huge increase in anxiety and depression um, diagnoses that is happening, and it's starting younger and younger. It's not a phasing out problem. It's actually a ramping up problem. I think at, in the States at the moment, they say one in five people will experience major anxiety or major depression in their life at the moment. That's, that's where it's at. That's the nature, a little bit like a nutshell version of the chaos that, that I think surrounds some of the world that we live in, and yet despite the chaos that exists, God's call to reach the world and to do ministry to, to the world remains. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes that seems like it's a bit of a dream that's over there in terms of, well, I'd love to be in that place. I'd love to be helping others, but right now I'm doing all I can to just keep my head above the water because it's hectic. And I, and I don't know how I'm supposed to minister from this space of battling to swim Never mind standing on solid ground. So we're going to talk a bit about that this morning. And, and I, want to, I want to propose to you for a moment, I want you to think about your life as a bit of, of it's like a complex system. Right, Jack, if you'll put the next slide up for us there. Right, this is the best illustration I could find of a mechanical complex system. You can see there's all kinds of cogs and levers and things going on there. We're all the different interconnected parts of our life. And when each part is working properly and doing its thing, then the system works. But if one of those cogs has to get misaligned on its axle, then the other cog doesn't turn and the whole system begins to break down. That, that picture is, is perhaps the best way of illustrating a, a really significant concept and word that, that we find in the Scriptures, and we find particularly in the Old Testament, this idea of shalom. You heard that word before? Right? Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. Now, we translated peace. The Greek word for peace is erene, and, and largely that word has been infused with the same meaning as shalom as you, when you read it in the New Testament. We'll have a look at that in a little moment. <coughs> Please excuse me, I have a little bit of a cold. But when we think about peace and shalom, it might be different to what you might naturally think about. When we think about peace, we often think in terms of calmness, in terms of stillness, right? We think about a tranquility in space and emotion that facilitates rest. That's often what we think about when we talk about personal peace, we talk about world peace, we talk about the cessation of conflict, right? But in our personal space, that's kind of what we think about. But the meaning of shalom is much broader than that idea of simply of tranquilness. Shalom embodies this idea that life is a, an interconnected series of different parts. And it's, it's really concerned about the right functioning of a complex system. That's what shalom really means. It's when a whole complicated system is functioning in a state of completeness or wholeness. That nothing's out of place. That nothing's misaligned. That's, what, that's the idea of shalom. So I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you that just kind of illustrate this um, because it's applied, this word is applied in a wide variety of contexts. Right? So if you, in the book of Job, one of Job's friends, Eliphaz, says to Job that you will know that your tent or your home is at peace. It's reached shalom when you count and inspect all of your flock and you find that nothing is missing. Right? So all of your animals are there, your your Wealth is complete. Your home is now at peace. Right? Solomon is said to have brought the temple in, to Shalom. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 25, it says this. It says three times a year. Now remember, Solomon built the temple that David designed and prepared and got all the resources for, and then Solomon got to build it. 
And after it's been built, it says this, three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings with it before the Lord, full stop. And so he finished the house of God. So he shalomed the house of God. He completed it by bringing it to the fulfillment of its purpose. This complicated sacrificial system that God had required with all the different pieces and parts that were to be a part of the temple. And if you've ever taken the time to read the description of all of the things, it gets a little pedantic. And you just, it's, it's not the most inspiring part of the Bible to read, right? But God is very specific about exactly how much of this there must be and how long the blind must be and how much gold must be wrapped around this thing. There's a, long, there's a lot of complicated pieces. Solomon brings it to shalom when he brings it to its, the fullness of its purpose. In Genesis, Joseph asks about his brothers. Remember, Joseph gets a, has, has a dream and decides in great wisdom to tell his brothers how he's going to be much better than all of them. They decide, well, he's a little bit pompous, so we'll throw him in a hole, let some slavers pick him up. God sends him through to Egypt, and a long story short, he eventually ends up in charge of Egypt by the Pharaoh. And uh, eventually his brothers come back to him because uh, there's a famine and they need some food. And so they don't know who he is now. They haven't seen him in a couple of decades, right? And, and he says to them, it says, he inquired about their welfare. He inquired about their shalom and said, is your father well? Is your father shalom, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? So when, they, when, they, when he asks them about their shalom, he's asking the, the wholeness of their lives, Right? How, is, there, is your life complete and well? Are all its parts rightly functioning? In Isaiah 48, from verses 17 to 22, I won't read all of it, but God expresses that this idea of shalom is a blessing that He gives to those who are righteous, but it's something that He withholds from those who are wicked. He says this, He says, Oh, that you would pay attention to my commandments. Then your peace, your shalom, would be like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. But there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. But there is no shalom for the wicked. <clears throat> in the New Testament, Paul uses the Greek equivalent, the Irene word, right? And he speaks about what Jesus has done for us interrelationally. So in Ephesians chapter 2, you might know this passage, it's quite a well-known passage. But he says this, for Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made us both one, who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's speaking about the division between Jews and Gentiles, which is a little bit like speaking about the division between blacks and whites in apartheid South Africa. That's kind of the similar context. So he's broken down that hostility that exists. He abolished the law of commandments that was expressed in ordinances that he might make in himself one new man in place of two, so bringing peace, so bringing shalom, erene, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace, shalom, to you who are far and peace to you who are near. Right? Jesus, in his coming, brings about a peace, a wholeness, a right functioning in relationships between people who were once enemies, who are now together in the gospel. <clears throat> These are all the different parts of, of what it looks like to, to this idea of shalom and irene when it's used in the scriptures. When you read the word peace, it's not just speaking about a tranquility of feeling. It's speaking about a wholeness and a completeness of all these different parts of our lives, the, the wealth that you have, the relationships that you have, your social status, and all of these things are together and are functioning properly together. It's the idea there's a harmony of 
communication between them. But when one of these parts comes out of alignment, that's when, we, that's when we, our shalom is lost because now the whole system doesn't function as it's meant to. And, and what actually tends to happen is when one part comes out of alignment, as the system breaks down, other parts break away and the wholeness is broken. So, yeah. We just also note, remember, so shalom is not about a ceasing activity. God is always at work, yet He's always in shalom. Shalom is this idea of, of right functioning together. Right? And when that alignment is broken, we become like those, Isaiah also says this, who are afflicted. They are tossed about by the storm, and they're without comfort. There's no grounding because this, this right functioning, this wholeness and completeness is lost. We become, we become confused in in this, like the, the chaoticness of the world around us. When God speaks about a peace, He speaks about a, a right functioning in the midst of chaos. And I want us to, to speak a bit about this this morning because it's not just that God calls us to have this, but that He promises for us to have it, and that He calls for us to minister this to others as we exist in a world that is like anti-shalom, that is not at peace, that is totally chaotic. Right, so we're going to look together at a passage in Matthew chapter 10. And then we're going, to, we're going to notice a few things, going to make a few observations after that, and then I'm going to come to an end. Matthew chapter 10, from verses 5 to 15, Jesus is speaking to the 12 disciples. Right? And these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any towns of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely as you have received, so freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. And as you enter that home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or that town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. There's a lot we could say about the scripture, right? That uh, these these are this is the first commission that Jesus gives to the twelve that have begun following. It's the first time he sends them out to do ministry on their own. Up until this point, they've been with Jesus. He's been discipling them. He's been demonstrating the ministry, and they've been following along. And now he says, "All right, guys, now it's time for you to have a bit of a trial run." So we're not, we're not going to go to the Gentiles yet. That's going to come later. But for now, I want you to just go out, go to the people of Israel, and begin to do a couple of things. And notice there are four different kind of commissions that Jesus gives them to do. And I put them in bold as we went through. But the first one is this. I want you to proclaim the kingdom of God, right? Or as Matthew refers to it, the kingdom of heaven. Tell people that the king has come and that he is now establishing his rule and reign. Then I want you to demonstrate that when the kingdom comes, it has power. And so I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cleanse lepers and drive out demons. <coughs> the way in which you are to do this is to go into the town, and here's your third commission, search for a worthy person in that place and stay with them. 
So if you find someone who is worthy, someone who is open to the gospel, someone who is open to hearing what you have to say, search for them, find that person, stay with them. And then finally, let your peace rest on their home. Those are the four commissions that Jesus gives in this passage. We could spend a lot of time talking about any one of those four. Right? And generally at Connect, we, we've, we've shared a fair bit about the first two. We've spoken a fair bit about um, proclaiming the kingdom. We've spoken a fair bit about demonstrating the kingdom. We haven't spent as much time on the last one, although if you're part of our missions group of people, you'll know that the idea of finding a man of peace is very much a part of how we do missions. Right? But I want to focus a little bit today on the last one. This idea that Jesus calls it to let your peace rest on a home. Bless the home with your peace. And then, oh, and if it's not worthy, then let your peace return to you. There's a blessing that we're called to carry. Part of our ministry de- derives from the fact that when we go places, we are carrying something of God that we are able to deposit into the lives of others. Does that make sense? God has put something in you. His Spirit rests in you. And the shalom of God should be in us so that when we reach others whose lives are chaotic and things are going out of whack, there is a peace, a right functioning, a perspective of God, a blessing of God that we're able to give to them so that their lives can come into a place of right functioning as well. Right? Earlier in verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Guys, I want you to know freely as you have received, now you must be free to give. And then he says, well, don't take any money with you, right? That being the idea, this is not a ministry that you you pay for, but you've been given freely, so give freely away and trust that God will minister to your needs and provide for you as you do that. But this peace then that comes is this peace that they are giving is something that is given to us by God. It's not something we generate, and, and I... I want to say this because as humans, we're really good at creating systems to try and do what God says He's going to do, right? Because that's sometimes a little intangible, this idea that, you know, God is going to give me this thing. So instead, I'm going to, if I can write down a list of things I can do, then I can check those things off the list, and then I hopefully can have achieved this thing. But we need to recognize peace is something that is given to us as a gift from God. We'll see that even more clearly a little bit later. But then as we've received it, we need to give it away. People need to, they they should be able to see in our lives, as as you're around people, they should be able to see that there is a a right functioning, there's a balance to our lives where we are not overwhelmed, where we are are not scattered and and lost in the chaoticness of life. But there is a, yeah, our lives are together and every part is doing its bit, that our relationships are in good standing and that the the resources that we need, God has provided. And, and where our lives are sitting in a place of contentment where all the different parts of our life are well-functioning together so that we're able to live out the ministry that God has given to us. Problem is, that's not always true of us, is it? And this is not about making us feel guilty, but it's really easy for us to lose that sense of peace because the, the chaoticness of our world is really pervasive. It really is. It's always there, and it's, 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 in, it's perpetual, and it's, it constantly seeks to invade our lives and to disrupt the peace that we have. You know, trauma comes into our life. Hardship, challenge, trial invades the space that we have and seeks to disrupt the peace that God would give to us and bring. 
But if we're going to minister effectively, we need, to, we need to find a way of allowing God to speak that peace and to give us that peace into our lives. So I want us to look at four scriptures that just point at some of the things God has said about this, some of His promises to us in receiving this. And then we're going to take some time and we're going to ask God to just come in and minister that peace to us this morning. And this is not something we can generate, right, but it's something that God has to do in us. And the first one is this. It's in John chapter 14, verse 27. And, and if you know the end of John, Jesus, for, for almost the last, I don't know, seven chapters of John, is, is busy preparing His disciples for the fact that He's about to leave. Right? So the last third of the book of John almost anticipates the crucifixion of Jesus. And so he's sitting together with his disciples. He's just told them about the place that he's preparing for them in heaven when he leaves. And he says to them, guys, here's my promise to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace, the shalom of God that I'm carrying, I give to you. I don't give it as the world gives it either. But I give it to you as God who gives it freely. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Why would their hearts be troubled? Because Jesus is about to leave. The guy that they've been following for the last three years, their sensei, the guy that has all the answers and knows what to do in every situation, he's about to go and they're about to become a persecuted religion. That's, that's kind of a scary space. But Jesus says to them, don't worry. Even in the midst of that, there is a shalom, a peace from God that I'm going to give to you and you can live in. Shalom is not something we can earn. It's something that God has given to us. And, and I love how Jesus says, therefore, we can turn from fear. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I, lo I love almost that phrase as well. Don't allow your hearts to be troubled because it's very easy for us to feel anxiety and worry. Right? That, that, that happens quite naturally. And then Jesus' call is almost recognize that and then realize that you don't need to worry, that you don't need to be afraid because I, am, I have given you my peace. And later on in Matthew, he'll say that I will be with you even to the very end of the age. Philippians chapter 4 is another place that, that speaks beautifully about the peace of God. Right? Paul writes, he says, guys, I want to encourage you not to be anxious about anything, but by, in everything, with prayer and by petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And when you do that, the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is, I think, this, this, we, can't, we can never overstress the value and the importance and the power of prayer in our lives. Prayer is incredibly important. And sometimes, sometimes we find it hard to pray. I know, I know how easy it is for us to try and, and box it into a small space. And we just, we're going to have our, our five-minute or our ten-minute quiet time this morning, and then we're going to kind of carry on and, and get on with life. The power of prayer cannot be overstated. That space of, of unhurried, unrushed prayer, where we just have time to be with the Lord. It's not a particularly funny situation for me. But that space to, to just be with the Lord and allow God to speak life into us. Where, we, where there's no schedule, where we, where like we know in the next five minutes, I just quickly, I have to get here or do this thing. But we, we create a space in our lives just to allow God to speak and to, to lift the burdens that we have. Jesus says, you know, come to me, all of those of you who are weary and heavy laden. Put your burdens on me and I will give you rest. 
When we do that in a space where we haven't got a time limit on the space, we're able to say, God, here's the stuff that I'm carrying. Here's the stuff that I'm worried about. Lord, I want to thank you for your goodness because I've remembered your goodness in my life. And I know that in the past you've come through and I know in the future you're going to come through again. And I want to ask you, Lord, help me to understand what's going on. And then you just wait and you allow God to speak. And in that unhurried space, the power of prayer, God comes and he ministers peace into our hearts. It's really what he does. I also love the way that, that Paul kind of cloaks that. He says, in, in a way that transcends all understanding. In other words, this peace of God doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Right? Logic would dictate that if, you know, let's say I, I really needed to pay my rent at the end of the month, and I, I needed 10,000 rand, and I just didn't have 10,000 rand. It's logical to be worried about that. that. That is normative. Jesus says, in that space, you can have peace that doesn't make sense. You can be, your life can be content because I am with you, and you know that God is going to come through. And you know that God is going to open up whatever you need. Right? There's a peace that doesn't make logical sense, and we can have that peace even when the circumstances around us would dictate otherwise. Lastly, I want to share two scriptures from Isaiah, and, and this first one is in Isaiah 26, and I, I really loved just how this was written. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace, Isaiah 26 verse 3, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And you know that phrase that we've got in the English, perfect peace, is actually the, the Hebrew construction, shalom, shalom. You will have a completeness and a wholeness of shalom, which is in itself completeness and wholeness. There's this perfect place of peace that we can come to when our minds are stayed on God. This idea of, of being stayed on God is, is this of being sustained and upheld by God. That's what it means, right? And I, and I love it. It's not when He trusts in you, but it's because He trusts in you. Because we trust in God, because that's the base orientation of our life, we know that Jesus is King, that He is the Messiah, that He's alive, that He really lives, that He reigns today, that He loves us as His children. Because we trust in Him, He sustains us, and we are able to live in a space of shalom, shalom, of perfect peace before God. Finally, Isaiah 54, verse 10. You might remember that song, Though the mountains fall... And the hills, anyone know that song? No? Right, that old school? I'm going to read it for you now. <clears throat> Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. That's God's promise to us, guys. It's His covenant to us. No matter what happens, if Table Mountain were to disappear in a moment because there was an earthquake that was so terrifying that shattered the mountain, God will never remove His covenant of peace from us. We are able to enjoy the peace of God because He has blessed us with it. No matter where we are or what we are going through, if our lives have been given over to God, He will never remove that covenant of peace. That's a that for me is a really wonderful promise. So we want to we want to take some time this morning. We've got at least twenty minutes, maybe a bit longer, if uh, God begins to be at work. And I want us to start by by just um, taking some time and asking God if there are spaces in our lives 
that have moved out of alignment. And you, hopefully you know what I mean by that, but there's a space in your life that's really just causing you concern and, and anxiety, and you just something is out of whack, something is not in tune, and you just feel like this thing, this part, is not, not where God needs it or wants it to be. And I want to just invite you to, to take some time to be with the Lord. I'm going to ask Stu and the team just to come up on stage and to begin to play over us, just gently create a bit of a space. And we're going to take some time to wait and allow God just to maybe highlight some things, to show some things to you. And I want you to begin to just ask this question for yourself. Don't begin asking for anyone else. Just say, Lord, is there a space in my life that's out of alignment, that you want to bring wisdom, insight, and alignment to, that you want to restore peace to? And allow God to begin to do that. Invite Him to begin to speak, to show you things. And then after we've taken some time to do that, we're going to create an opportunity for, for ministry amongst one another. And, and that's going to be a reasonably free space. If you feel like there's someone that God has laid on your heart that you want to pray for, we're going to allow you to go and do that. If there's a word that God's placed on your heart and you think, you know what, I actually believe God is saying something, this might be something that someone is carrying in this space, and give you an opportunity to do that. Um, if, you, you know, if there's people that, you need, that need to be, receive ministry and you just recognize, God, I just need someone to help me in this thing. We're going to be available to do that with one another. So we're going to take some time to do that intentionally, and, and Stu and the team are just going to play over us as we go, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to kind of wing it as, uh, as the Spirit's at work. Okay. So let's take some space, and let's invite God now to speak into our hearts. So Lord, we just want to say that we open ourselves up to you this morning. We thank you, God, that you are a great and wonderful Father, that you love us deeply and wonderfully, and that you have covenanted with us to give us your peace, your peace that transcends understanding, your peace that, that subsists over worry and anxiety. And Lord, we recognize just how easy it is for us to, to come outside of that. So we want to ask, Lord Jesus, won't you show us this morning if there are spaces in our lives that have come out of alignment with you, where we've allowed something else that's not you to lead and to direct the way in which we see and understand life. And God, just show us those things because we want to enter into the place of peace that you have given to us to live in so that we can be those who minister that peace to others. Thank you, Lord.